broadcasting live from the ocean. This is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Ava, and I'm joined by my mer people, Mila and Louisa. And this episode, we're continuing our mermaid theme and talking about the 2017 Swiss fantasy drama Blew My Mind, directed by Lisa Brulman. Ty is unavailable this episode, but she will be back soon. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcast app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at the Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In Blue My Mind, 15-year-old Mia struggles to settle into her new school in Zurich. She immediately gravitates towards the cool, popular kids, led by the vicious but alluring Gianna. Together, the girls shoplift and party, experimenting with sex, drugs, and alcohol. At the same time, Mia gets her first period and shortly after notices strange occurrences in her body. Her toes become webbed, her legs bruise, her skin peels. Horrified by her body's changes and confused by her intense relationship with Gianna, Mia's behaviour grows more and more erratic, much to the concern of her parents. In this film, we have a really like awkward conversation, a little bit uh, Ginger Snaps esque, not like as campy as that one. It was serious in tone, but about like getting your first period, and then she goes to the doctor and tries to explain her transformation because obviously her first period is linked to a mermaid. And it just made me think, like, what were your guys' like first conversations about your periods with like an adult, you know? Normally my family talked to me about periods. I, t- I learned from health class in like third and fourth grade. Um, but yeah, they, they, well, they taught us about like not sex ed, but we had period class that was like, a, you know, a, a three or four week thing where every week we learned something new about like puberty periods was one week but then you'd learn about like what to do about boobs was one day I don't know like every Friday we'd have like a class or something and I thought it was so exciting and so interesting I couldn't wait to get my period because they gave us these cute little bags with like pads and tampons and things in them you could like put in your book bag so like when the day came you were prepared and I just like loved having that shit I just liked accessorizing honestly I still have a little period pouch with like everything, heat pads, pain pills, tampons, like everything. I still keep that shit on me. So I learned well from that class. But because I was so well accessorized, I was like, well, fuck am I carrying this shit around for all the time? I'm not going to get a period. And like fourth grade is like pretty early to learn about it, but people have their period by fourth grade. Some people get their period super early. So I guess they're trying to like make sure they get you before you're like caught off guard, I suppose. Yeah, but by the time you actually started, your pad must have been really manky. It was, so I'm going to get into that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I did not get my period in fourth grade. I got it like, I don't know, I was probably like 12 or, or so, seventh grade maybe. So yeah, I had been carrying that shit around forever and never needed to use it. So by the, I was like so ready. I was like every like twinge of pain I got, I was like, this is it. The big one. Um, <laughs> but it never was. I had to wait so long. And then like I got my first period and I like felt super prepared. Not because I talked to my family. I My family also gave me books. Like I had the American Girl doll, Care and Keeping of You puberty book. It's like a health book. It's like illustrated. Honestly, it was very useful. I had that book. My dad got it for me at the Barnes and Noble because I was so fucking excited. I was like very loud about it. I was like, it's here. 
the day has come. Everyone has to like get me treats. This is what I heard that you get chocolate and ice cream and everyone has to be super nice to you. And then everybody was, but then honestly, I should get checked out. My cramps are debilitating. They've been debilitating since that first period. Like it is the shits every time. So like, promptly by the very next period hated that shit was no longer excited was like i don't know why i was excited at all in the first place even this accessory does not make it better so you know we rise and we fall but as far as like conversations i never like spoke about it you know what i mean like it was just like my powers lay dormant inside me and with that in mind very similar to this movie because she didn't tell nobody shit she was not describing nothing in detail to me like she was going through such changes and like just being mad vague about it and then getting frustrated when nobody could help her and i'm like show someone show someone your leg like be super loud and vocal about it if you feel like your cramps are like more painful than they should be say something that's fine it's not embarrassing um it might be something to get checked out is what i was thinking through this whole movie this movie made me like really scared to have a teenager i was like oh fuck my period conversation was me going to my mom and saying that I think I shit myself, but I don't remember doing it throughout the day. Like, how did that happen? I was like, I don't, I don't remember. And like, is this going to just happen? And then she's like, oh, darling, it's your period. You know, because my mom's British in case anyone didn't know that. Like, obviously on their first and last day, it might be like darker blood, brown blood. Like, I don't think my first one was heavy at all. I think it was more like kind of spotty and it was like brown. So I was just like, oh my God, like, when did that happen? And I don't remember. But yeah, my mom was like, oh, it's happened. And then she promptly like phoned like everyone and told them. And I was so embarrassed. My mom had like told me ahead of time. However, what I'll never forget is just like the acute sense of dread and panic. I like projected decades in the future of just like, having a period every month and I was like no a lot of it like it was wrapped up in a lot of those uncomfortable feelings of like your body changing a sort of uncanniness about like sexuality I was just like so uncomfortably aware of like everything it meant and I really hated it you had such foresight honestly the Monstrous Feminine is on Instagram, so please go leave us a comment. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is Heather Rankin 1, who commented on our Megan post and said, Seeing this movie, Drunk in Cinema, was life-changing. So excited to see you guys do an episode on it. Wait no further. Episode's out. Let us know what you thought. I think I would have had a better time if I was drunk. I think that would have been an amazing experience. So please invite us to your next drunk viewing. I quite frequently, Solidarity, have watched a lot of the films we've covered, like whilst drinking a glass of bread. So I love tipsy horror vibes. I also have recorded some episodes with a glass of bread. Guess which ones? Friendly reminder that we're also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for £5, you get all that, plus the opportunity to pick our themes, films, and discussion points. Please support us. Any contribution helps. We talked about themes adjacent to the idea of bodily transformation as like something that happens like during puberty. Regardless of the application of mermaid law, this film, it was 2017. It was so reminiscent for me of those indie teen films of the 2000s 
obviously like varying degrees of what dark themes they included, like 13, Mysterious Skin, Fish Tank, all of these like quite disturbing chronicles in a strange way. Like it had a sort of nostalgic element for me of those like indie films of that time. I just don't think we get those often. Would you count Skins in this category? Yes. But I think Skins is like edging more towards that more and more exploitative representation of like teen sexuality. Euphoria is like way on the other end of the spectrum. I want to put this film on a watch list with Carrie, Ginger Snaps, and then Raw. I thought I was so original in thinking that. And then I was reading reviews where people were like, it's just like Raw and Ginger Snaps. And I was like, okay, well, fuck you guys. I've never had a unique thought apparently. But yeah, I do think that would be like a really cool watch list because I think they're all speaking the same language and they're doing it in different styles. I think this is like stylistically like raw, but it's like thematically a bit like Ginger Snaps. Triggering. This film was triggering. <laughs> like it's so, we talk, okay. We spoke about in the lure about mermaid lore being a good metaphor for coming of age and puberty. And this film does just that, but it does it so well. And <laughs> that it's like hard to watch. It's like that thing of like, how could this be so relatable, gradually transforming into a fish? But I'm like, oh no, you've really hit the nail on the head. Like it does feel like this. Bruman's done a lot, done a really great job of encapsulating that. Jessica Kian for Variety talked about like the sexual confusion and body dysmorphia. And then also things like anorexia, negative body image, self-harm, and the joyless promiscuity and sexual degradation that Mia pursues are the kinds of heartbreaking punishments that young girls inflict on their bodies for differing in ways that often only they perceive from some notional ideal of womanly perfection. And I was like, that's it. That is it. This film does do that and it does it well. Have you guys seen 13? I haven't, no, but I saw a lot of people compare this one to that. I think I have. It's ringing certainly a bell. It's Catherine Hardwick's debut film, who directed Twilight. Oh, I think I have seen it, but like so long ago. Nikki Reed, when she was like 13, co-wrote it with her, like the film's dress, R13, and it has that same darkness and angst and like heartbreak that this film gets so well. It doesn't have like obviously the horror fantasy body horror element, but it's like transformative watching 13 at that age. And then I wonder if it would have the same effect that we're all feeling watching this film. We haven't released this episode yet, but we've recorded it and it's on Jennifer's body. And we talk a lot about how female competition and like young friendships can often conflate with like queer desire. And that's like quite entangled and it's hard to separate if they even are separate, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's really explored here. It even gets like that element like correct in terms of like a relatable experience, you know, crushing on your potentially bad influence, toxic best friend and that confusion of like, do I want to be them? Do I want to get with them? Before we like get back to the, you know, what's triggering about it, thinking about our own teenagehood or adolescence, it's even more bonkers now watching it a little bit more grown. Like I was talking about um, Juno recently with my friend about like watching Juno at my big age now and what a difference it makes to my perception of that movie. Like I probably watched it when I was prepubescent. Like when it came out, I hadn't like gone through puberty yet. And I think like, I don't know, it's just like a, such a different viewing experience now. Obviously I didn't watch this movie when I was young and impressionable or even like around the age of those characters. 
it's a whole different type of anxiety. That's exactly what it was like to like, you know, like run with that kind of crowd or, you know, start dressing in a particular way or wearing makeup or shoplifting or like getting in trouble or running around with your friends around town without supervision. And like you have, you're just, you're like just smart and grown and independent enough to like get around by yourself. And like the amount of trouble you can get into just like being out um, and then also that is rubbing up against like me looking at the parents in this movie, especially the parent of the the friend, the like bad influence friend, like the single father. Um, I think she said her mom just like fucked off to America and like never came back. Like it really makes me feel for Gianna. I don't know. I knew a lot of people who like were relatively unsupervised for like a lot of reasons. I was relatively unsupervised. Like I definitely got into shit. I don't know, nobody suspected that I was going to do anything that bad. But her dad, like, asking her for a cigarette, he, like, knows what she's up to, right? And he's looking at her friends a type of way. They have, like, this, like, very, basically they're roommates, right? It's, like, a really weird, inappropriate setup. And she's being, like, set up to fail. He is disappointing her every day. Like, he is failing her as a parent every day. And I think, like, that is an anxiety-inducing thing. And then the other part of it is, like, Mia's parents, who... Like, they do care about her. They do want her to, like, succeed and not get into trouble. But then I, like, go away for a weekend and I'm like, God, right when this girl is, like, clearly spiraling, right? Like, I'm not a parent, right? I think watching this as a parent would be, like, a whole third angle to this. But just, like, being a little bit grown, like, my brain being a little bit more formed to, like, look at teenagers in my life and, like, care about them. And I'm like, oh, fuck, like, how do you avoid that? Like these things kind of feel like just like parts of adolescence and like the dangers of the modern world do not mesh well with like you figuring yourself out, like finding your identity, like figuring out your sexuality or like how rebellious you want to be or like what your morals are or like the ways that you want to rebel. Like you should be able to go through those things and like be free to do that without like putting your life at risk or your health or well-being. There seems to be no way for like teenage girls to like sort through that identity making without like rubbing into some nasty shit. And I think like that is what's so horrific about it. Like now looking back on it is because it's like, I guess it's like a little bit of like inner child work where I'm like, damn, I wish I could have like protected me and my friends from like just fucking like situations. Do you know what I mean? But they felt they kind of were so unavoidable and it didn't matter like how involved your parent was or like how much you could tell them or, you know, how much privacy you had or anything like that. It's just like, it's part of growing up and it seems like it's always been a part of growing up, but I don't know. It was, yeah, definitely very real from all angles, like <laughs> seeing it now, like, Definitely maybe wouldn't watch this as a parent. It would make me so stressed. And I think that anxiety is part of the horrificness of it for me. And like why I would throw content warnings all over this film and episode. I think you're really encapsulating why I thought it was so anxiety inducing as well. Like I'm not looking at it as a parent, but I'm looking at it as someone who could have kids like at that age and someone who knows has peers who have kids. So it is like, oh my God, it's what you said, like about it being unavoidable. Like that's what's terrifying to me. I'm like the fact that this is so universal and so unavoidable. I mean, obviously, literally speaking, it is all avoidable, but you know what I mean? Like in terms of like the general experience, it just seems like it just happens in the society that we have. And I just think that she really just captures so well. 
like that moment in your adolescence where everything switches and your entire existence is defined by male validation and sexual validation and like social acceptance. It was just so like, well, I think you said in the past episode, Zabel, like we were talking about ginger snaps. It was literally like overnight, all of a sudden your life is suddenly defined by men. Like all of a sudden you stopped understanding like your older friend who's like only older by like a few years, like why their whole lives were directed towards men. And then you reach that age and it's like, actually just kidding. I'm doing the same one. And like, obviously there's added elements when you're navigating that with queerness as well. But it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like everything about this film was so, so accurate. It was like too real to watch. In the way that like, this is kind of technically like a drama and it's more of a body horror. But I was like, no, no, no. To me, this is a horror throughout. Not just the body horror elements make it a horror. Just the very triggering nature of it is like horrific. Not to mention that really graphic scene, which I'm sure we can like get into. But honestly, that was horrible. I don't want to assign like a sense of morality to what we should depict on screen in and of itself. I think that the morality often comes from like how those scenes are approached, how the actors are treated, you know, the production around it. I think like images as exploitative by themselves is something that's a lot more like elusive to how like we can attribute any sense of like right or wrong to them watching this film and seeing a very graphic hugely disturbing scene of her it's like a coercion it's like a lot more menacing type of like sexual assault watching it and being like is this too much yeah no I 100% was watching it thinking I wish it had just been implied and not shown I thought it was too much for me I don't know I just couldn't (laughs) couldn't deal with it there's something about the way that the film as a whole approaches her story that the inclusion of that scene it didn't feel like a turning point in which it like led into exploitative at least I didn't feel it did I don't think it's exploitative I just wish it wasn't there but that's the point right I think I'm sort of like in between y'all's perspectives because when I was watching it I was like very relieved that it's that she intervened when she exactly at the point that she did like I think for me the point of the scene was the intervention and what that meant for like Gianna's character like the position that she found herself in and like she took like such quick decisive action and was like also vulnerable right also outnumbered everybody's staring it became a very public scene really when she opens the door it's like everybody can kind of discern what's going on in this situation. And I think like that perspective was really a memorable moment for me, right? Like she isn't the main character, but I think I thought a lot about Gianna throughout the whole film. And I think to me, she like might as well have been the main character in certain points because like in the way that there are like multiple adult perspectives, I think there were multiple adolescent perspectives. And I think that that was really affecting to me because I was also like a moment, a turning point in their relationship and in their friendship. And, you know, I think people might have seen her character as like taking advantage of um, Mia, like maybe she's attracted to her, but she, ultimately she's still a bully, right? Or she's still like somebody who hasn't sorted through her shit. And like, because of that is a bad friend. And like, just you need to stay away from her. Like you would have been better off staying away from her. And then I, you know, see her in this moment. And I'm like, no, their relationship is real. Yes, it's fucked up. Yes, it's toxic. But it is like a legitimate relationship. It's a legitimate type of friendship thank God she was there. Do you know what I mean? And thank God that she's the person that she is, right? Because she is the type of person who like was not only just like gonna get her out of the situation, but like turns around and yells at everybody is like 
look at yourselves. Do you know what I mean? Like she is able to shame them in a way that was like really satisfying to watch. It really changed my perspective on her character generally. Like I always had empathy for her. Like I realized I understand why she is the way that she is, but like it made me see something in her that like I really admired, I guess, as well. Yeah, I agree with you in the sense that I really like that Roman didn't like do the typical like mean girl bitch portrayal situation. Loki, even with like Jennifer's body and like ginger snaps, like we, well, they're sisters, not best friends, but it's a similar kind of like bitchy teenage dynamic. Of course, those are earlier films, so they're older and they're also comedy. So they're not really going to give like as much like depth as we maybe have space for here in that way. Like we only see glimpses of their vulnerability and stuff and they're still really well done in their own way. But I did like that this film unpacks that mean girl character a bit more. Like you said, Zeba, it goes into her home life and not just like as like a passing comment. Like you really do see it and you really do empathize. And I like that they don't, they kind of unpick it. Like she's not a straight up dislikable character. It really shows you like why you'd be attracted to somebody like Gianna like why a young girl might be like influenced like to follow a, like the wrong crowd quote unquote it shows you how there can be moments of like you said protection and solidarity and like trust and tenderness as well and like kind of that mutual vulnerability like they're all experiencing like you know at, at that age and like discovering themselves and discovering their sexualities I really like that it went into all of that and complicated their relationship because at first I was just like oh great so she's gonna be bullied it's still fucked up don't get me wrong but it wasn't like without love and compassion and trust and like I said tenderness and it does obviously take on a queer tone I mean it's not explicitly said and whether it's like queer because you know maybe just queer because mermaids are gay or maybe it's queer because being attracted to your best friend because you want to be here maybe it's queer just because they're all queer but either way I think it really tackled a lot and I really like that they added layers to their Roman added layers to their relationship because I think otherwise it would have just been completely flattened like I liked that they had that moment of exchange like in that you're right that scene is really about the intervention and then you also have you know a reciprocal I guess reciprocated action when um Mia dives in in the water and saves her from a guy, not assault, but a guy who obviously failed to look after her when drunk and they were in the water, you know? And it's like, they really have that kind of exchange. And, you know, your relationships at that age are so intense. Your friendships are so intense. Your friends are like your whole world and your whole world is so small. Those kind of moments and friendships really impact you and they really matter. That scene being so pivotal, partly because it, it was a sort of turning point in their relationship being solidified but I was also like really struck by that scene and how it was shot for shot a porno we see those images I mean I hope we are not seeing them on a, a regular basis but go into any like you know porn site and most of the videos are like teen gangbangs and it is eerily shot for shot of how that scene unfolded and I wonder if that was on the mind of Rollman as she was like deciding how to orchestrate that scene it just felt like it must have been something deliberate because it could be so easily accepted by a particular audience as something that appeared consensual and erotic because of the way that we teach young girls like how they should perform sexually to men. Lots of these films, they are triggering, but I think there's a there's something so relieving about these experiences being shown with an underlying tenderness and care there's just a nuance to how they're told that is like very affirming 
I think you're on to something with like the pornography shot because like earlier in the film, I think Roman's deliberately like exploring that gaze. She's chosen a mermaid anyway and mermaids are like such a sexualized siren figure and there is something subversive and then using that to explore all the way men sexually abuse you as well. It's like appropriating that myth in order to subvert it. But like also you have so many scenes of them literally imitating or watching, consuming porn and like trying to like, you know, okay, so this is how it's been done. I know when she's like, she's a like drunk out of her mind and she doesn't even in the moment at least initially realize that what's happening is assault because she's so intoxicated. And that's like also because of the media, right? Like you've just said, like the whole scene is orchestrated in a way that's actually quite recognizable because of the porn industry and like how it's all portrayed and set up. It's so like drilled into you that this is like normal. It captures like all like that teenage vulnerability and that's why it's so terrible because I was just like, God, is this so universal? And God, is there no way to avoid it? Like, can't we stop it? It was just really sad. In order to like achieve these insane expectations of like how we think we're supposed to be as young girls, as women, it can really just quickly evolve into really just self-destructive tendencies. I have a question of like a chicken or egg situation because like, Absolutely, yes, I understand the pressure that teen girls feel to, like, be more adult, be more sexual, be more confident. And, you know, that's part of, like, identity formation. And then looking at this grown man, right, that she meets on the internet. And I'm like, do you think she's acting grown? Either you're, like, delusional. This is a child. You know this is a child. And I feel like it frustrates me how common, like you're saying, like even in porn, so I have like teen categories, right? Where we're like, well, yeah, only like the weirdest perverts on the internet are attracted to children. But it's like, it is much more common than I think we give credit for. And it's like, you're not, you're not attracted to them because they're, because they look like grown women because they're wearing lipstick and eyeliner and like a push-up bra. You're attracted to them because they don't look like grown women. Like I said, I think that that like putting on the, the the womanhood costume is a part of identity formation. And I don't want to like deny that part of girlhood to, you know, young people, right? Like I was sitting there thinking when she's putting on that lipstick, I'm like, oh no, you don't got to put on that lipstick. Like I, I sound like a mom who like, you know, shames you out of doing the things that your friends are doing. I understand that impulse now where I'm like, no, don't wear that. No, don't do that. Like, no, don't go out like that. But it's like, it doesn't matter how she goes out. I know that. And even still, the voice in the back of my mind is like victim blaming. Even still, because like that is how we've been socialized. And it's so frustrating to like be in that position where like, Lisa, like you were talking about as like somebody who like might want to be a parent someday watching things like this. I'm like, how would I handle this, yo? Like, I can't tell her not to dress up. I can't tell her not to go out with her friends. I'm also not going to tell you not to use the internet. Like, it's too much. It's too much. Anytime men show a preference for this, like, teen body type, teen mentality, that sort of malleability and naivety that, like, these girls might show towards older men, this is going to be pedantic. But I think it's really important to stop pedophilia being tossed around, like, with any of that behavior we see when pedophilia is not referring to that age group. I think it's, like, more to do with like targeting a specific age group who might have like that sort of in-between body. You know how you just like, you turn 20 and like your body completely changes. Yeah, they didn't tell me about that. <laughs> Nobody tells you that it just like changes again. Yeah. But I think it's like this this strange limbo in between like prepubescence and like being fully grown up that along with that 
naivety and that fresher need to like seek validation perhaps from older men and like not having the knowledge that that's not okay to have like any sort of sexual relationship romantic relationship with somebody who's like an adult while you're in that age group so I think it's just like a horrible time in teens lives where you're kind of being told you're grown up and an adult at the same time as being like infantilized whether that be through like your family or like the porn industry so much mixed messaging I love how we haven't even gotten to like the like explicitly horror elements none of the body horror I thought it was quite effective as body horror aside from all of that which we've gone into you know when she's picking at her scales and she's picking off and when she's cutting her toes that's why it reminded me of Raw because it's not like a scary horror it's like a disturbing one where it's like you gradually gets under your skin quite <laughs> pardon the pun but yeah so it's it's like that kind of horror I liked it for that I think it was visually well done wait you said something in the first article that you quoted Louisa about like young girls like feeling ashamed about like things about their looks that only they can perceive the thing about her feet like going to the nurse and she's like i have web feet and the nurse is like people sometimes have web feet no big deal and then they like become more webbed in the course of even that appointment okay this is the part i mean among many parts where i'm like why speak up girl speak up say it with your chest why are you trying to take care of this yourself the doctor said Keep an eye on this and it can be surgically fixed. Okay, but she's not so ashamed that she isn't going to a nurse, right? You feel comfortable talking to a medical professional? No, I don't think she felt comfortable. A second she saw the nurse on the phone, she was like, oh God, I'm a freak. Okay, you're afraid to make a phone call, but you're not so afraid that you can't snip your own skin and then lay some bandages on top. She didn't even, okay. She snips the web, it bleeds. I'm not even convinced that the sticky adhesive was present on those bandages. She just lays them on top of her bloody feet and then puts some dirty socks on and sticks them back in her sneakers. Listen, we've all had shame. We've all had shame. We just told our period stories. Sometimes you have a little thing about your body where you're like, oh no, what if this is embarrassing when you're like a teenager? And then by the end of the movie, when she's like, no, I'm just going to become one with the ocean now. I'll give my mom one more call. And then I don't think there's any need to discuss this plan with anybody else besides my, me and my bestie. If she don't say something to an adult, it was so frustrating. I'm like, maybe this can be solved. It's metaphorical. Yeah, it's metaphorical. It? Her shame is also intertwined with like the fact that Webfee is like such like oh, well, this can't ever be physically attractive at a time where like we've just discussed that moment change and she all of a sudden is being perceived by men and needs to be physically attractive. So I think that was feeding into the taboo of like why she can't talk about it. Even the legs were just like devastating, right? When her legs started looking gross. Like something is wrong. Something's like medically wrong. It's not just that you like look unattractive. Like, But she doesn't know that. Tell your mother your legs are bruised up. It was kind of meant to like mesh into this collective experience of like bodily changes and that's where like the fantasy was heavier was she adopted also did they find her in the ocean where'd they get they her had from? like that scene where she was like on a beach as a kid there's no pictures of her mother pregnant she they couldn't find no adoption papers no because they did but she's like it's in french or something i think it's hinted at i think you're meant to assume like yeah she was because she's a magical being jessica kian who actually identified like a lot of the ways like how it overall works with like as metaphors for like 
when she's mutilating it's like self-harm and body dysmorphia as you're growing up is relatable but you see it's channeled here through the mermaid myth i'm quoting here mia's problems become less relatable as they become more real and her fears of her own freakishness become paradoxically less interesting the more they're revealed to be based in physical fact and so the story's allegorical power is lessened as it plays out alongside the very things like sexual confusion and body dysmorphia that it's supposed to be an allegory for our heroine is contending with all the usual pressures of girlhood and has bruised legs syndactyly and shedding skin of her pesky metaphors to deal with too. I thought that was quite harsh. I think it works better as the movie goes on and it becomes more literal. Yeah. Also, she had to like literalize it. Yeah. And that's why the metaphor is the metaphor because you're literalizing it. She just wanted it to be a grungy teen film with no mermaids. Making the physical aspects of like her becoming a mermaid more apparent and take focus like strengthened that allegory regardless of whether you ever think she actually turns into a fucking mermaid yeah no speaking of that though what do you make of the ending because i was thinking like it could it's it is like a suicide metaphor because she like calls her mom and gives her like a tearful goodbye and then she like goes in the ocean i mean like obviously if she wasn't a mermaid you remove it the thing is that she she kills herself but I did think that could be an interpretation of it. It could be a symbolic suicide in that she's escaping that, well, like a suicide escaping the symbolic order of like gender. I guess it gets a little bit messy because the mermaid kind of encapsulates both the sort of characteristics of femininity that men ascribe to women, but also the like monstrous elements of that mermaid can resonate with like young girls in a sort of sense that they're like free more of an animal free of like human constructs so i don't know but i i think i saw it as something positive like she was escaping something i thought she was like running away from her problems yeah queen (laughs) (laughs) fuck are you gonna do out in the ocean i guess it's none of my business to think about after the credits roll but like are you gonna eat fish and just like hang out that's her true form she's a mermaid (laughs) She doesn't even have community. There are no other mermaids to hang out with. Well, maybe she'll find it. Like, she can't be the only one. An interview with the director, Lisa Brulman for Mia.com. Oh my God. <laughs> it's like M-E-A-W-W.com. <laughs> and she said, for me, she, the mermaid, is a symbol of freedom and power. She lives her true nature, is wild, free, all the things I wish for every girl and every woman. And then on IMDb, Lisa Brulman had previously directed Hylas de Nymphen, based on the Greek myth and painting of the same name. And she said of her longtime fascination with nymphs and mermaids that the mermaid has a sense of anarchy, which was something that really fascinated me and I wanted to tell a story about it. So I definitely think her interpretation of the ending is meant to be like that kind of, like you said, Mila, like freedom from like societal expectations, gender expectations, sexuality. But she also said something interesting, which was a little bit mon femi. For IMDb, Broman read Carl Gustav Jung's work as part of research for this film. And the ending references one of his quotes. He says that the ocean is like an archetype of the mother and the mother is our first home. So she finally goes back home. It has a sense of returning to this like more primitive state. Uh, okay, perhaps womb. It would be very Cretian, the idea of returning to the womb. I mean, that would like be sort of monstrous mother reabsorption, but I think more in a like liberated sense that you're returning to a 
a more primitive way of being free of gender. It's pre-induction into the symbolic order. Yes, reabsorption is like scary, but that's Creed talking from the male perspective. In the womb, like we're talking about a space where the mother rule, it's like matriarchal. So like you could see this as like symbolically returning into a more matriarchal space in the ocean rather than like the patriarchal space on land. Do you know what I mean? That's what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that. Basically, I don't think the return to the ocean was something monstrous or negative, like in the way that a man might perceive it to be. Um, oh damn! You know when I can't remember what episode we were asked like what animal we'd want to be able to like shape shift into, and I said a whale. I think what I truly meant was a mermaid. Thank you for listening to the Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at the Monstrous Feminine Podcast, and on Twitter at the Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at the Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, which is out. <laughs>